I hope you uh, picked up a copy of the uh, sermon notes uh, for the message today. And uh, today we actually uh, bring to a conclusion uh, our study of the uh, book of Hebrews, which we began uh, way back in March of 2014. Uh, As we have seen uh, throughout this study, uh, Hebrews was written to a Jewish Christian community whose world had been shaken by persecution under the Roman Emperor Nero. Uh, They found it safer to retreat from their Christian faith instead of going forward uh, to pay the cost of following Christ. Sadly, uh, we discover this same retreat in the American church today. Think of how many Christians never get beyond the basic knowledge that their sins are forgiven and they have a home in heaven. Think of how many Christians fall into compromise and indifference never to have a significant impact on our world for Christ. Why is it that so many Christians lack the power to stand up for Christ? to advance in their Christian faith, to press on unto maturity? What is the teaching that's needed to revive the church so that no matter what adversity may come, uh, that we will be, as it says in Hebrews, able to hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end, that we would not only start well, but remain faithful to Jesus all the way across the finish line. Well, the answer is the book of Hebrews, and that is why I chose Hebrews uh, to be our study this past year and a half. Hebrews remedies the problem of a compromising faith by exalting the infinite prize of Jesus Christ. As we have discovered over the last year and a half in this study, Hebrews, like no other book in the Bible, presents the superiority of Christ and the believer's access to Him. To see the infinite worth of Jesus, to see all that you possess in Him, is to suddenly realize no gift could ever be too extravagant for Him, no sacrifice too great. You suddenly realize to suffer for Him is not a burden, it is a privilege in order to demonstrate your love for who He is and your gratefulness for what He did for you through His death, burial, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 3.8, he said, I count what? All things loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, count them as garbage in order that I may gain Christ. So I pray that our study of Hebrews has opened your eyes uh, to see with greater clarity than ever before the beauty and the value of Jesus, to be able to see all that you possess in Him. I pray that you have been strengthened through this study to run with endurance the race God has set before you, and that despite the increasing hostility towards the Christian faith in this country, that you will remain faithful to Christ. Now, as we conclude our study of Hebrews today, this wonderful book, look there at the introduction in your sermon notes. At the close of Hebrews 12, the command is given 
to offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 19, then explains the how-to in offering acceptable worship to God. The author closes the book of Hebrews with a benediction that we'll look at today in verses 20 and 21, highlighting the God we worship. In Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 19, uh, we discovered seven ways on how to express acceptable worship to God with reverence and awe. And I believe it's important to remember that we uh, are to do these things, and if we do not, no matter how loud we sing God's praises, we're not offering God acceptable worship. And we discovered that acceptable worship is what? Receiving one another in love, verses 1 and 2. Remembering the persecuted in verse 3. A respect for marriage as God created it in verse 4. Resting in God, trusting in God in verses 5 and 6. Remaining steadfast in God's Word in verses 7 through 9. And then rejoicing in the altar of the cross In verses 10 through 16, by feasting, appropriating God's grace and forgiveness in our lives, by bearing Christ's reproach and going outside the walls of the church to be a witness for Christ in a lost world, and then by offering sacrifices of praise, not only in word, but also in deed. And then we saw that we're to revere our church leaders by remembering their teaching, imitating their faith, following their lead, and praying for their integrity. And then in verses 20 and 21, we have one of the most beautiful and powerful benedictions found in the entire Bible. Follow in your Bibles as we read these two verses together. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, Through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So in these verses, we see the God we worship. So follow in your notes and look at that first point. We worship a reconciling God. We worship a reconciling God. Uh, Verse 20, that first phrase, now the God of peace. God seeks to make peace with man who is alienated from God because of sin. Isaiah 59 verse 2 reads, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And that's the problem for every one of us sitting in this uh, sanctuary today and for everyone living in this world. Uh, if I could just use this as an illustration, uh, let's say uh, that this Bible, uh, imagine it representing the record book of your life. Uh, here's your birth certificate, here's your death certificate, and then in between is the record book of your life. Every thought, every deed, every attitude, every action, all your character, all your conduct. And folks, that's our problem, isn't it? Yes, there's some good but it's mixed with bad. And the Bible says what? We have what? All sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it says the wages of sin is what? Death. And death in the scripture is defined as separation from God, not only in this life, but throughout all eternity in hell. So that is my problem. 
if this hand represents God and this hand represents Andy, my problem is my sin stands between me and God. It separates me. I'm alienated from God. But continuing on in your notes, we have seen that one of the central themes in the book of Hebrews has been God's work in Christ to overcome this alienation caused by sin and then to reconcile man to God. And just look at a sampling there in your sermon notes. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 3, it says, He made what? Purification of sins. In chapter 2, verse 17, He became a merciful and faithful high priest to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. In chapter 8, verse 12, I will be merciful to their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. Chapter 9, verse 26, He appeared, Jesus appeared, to put away sins by the sacrifice of Himself. Verse 28 of chapter 9, Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Chapter 10, verse 12, He having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time. And then chapter 10, verse 17, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. You know, going back to this record book of our lives, this, uh, that is our problem that uh, alienates us between uh, us and God. See, God came to this earth in the person, what? Of Jesus Christ. He lived a sinless life so that he could lay down his life on the cross as a sacrifice for your sins. And when he was laid on the cross, what happened? That record book of your life was what? Laid on him. The Bible says our iniquities were laid on Jesus. He took the punishment that we deserved. It says, He who knew no sin, He became sin on our behalf, that now we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. While Jesus suffered and died on the cross, He was treated just like He had lived your sinless life, so that now God could treat you as if you had lived Christ's sinless life. And when Jesus was buried, he buried your sins with him, and he rose again to offer forgiveness. And for all those who put their trust in Jesus, what? Now there can be reconciliation. Because the sin problem has been taken care of through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we worship a reconciling God, and that's been one of the major themes throughout the book of Hebrews, that God has established peace finally between God and man, Uh, through the cross of Jesus Christ. Look at the second truth. We also worship a shepherding God. We worship a shepherding God. Look at the next statement in your notes. All human beings are like uh, sheep who are directionless, in other words, have no sense of direction, defenseless, easily disturbed, and totally dependent. Therefore, like sheep, we need a shepherd. God created mankind to be sheep, in need of him to be their shepherd. And then notice in your notes, as the good shepherd, as the good shepherd, Jesus died to save his sheep. John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Let me give you one other passage that is not in your sermon notes. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 24 and 25 reads, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, what we were just talking about a moment ago, when our sins were laid, our iniquities were laid on him. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. Why? That we might 
die to sin and live to righteousness. In other words, he not only took care of the penalty of sin, he gives us the power to overcome sin and to live in righteousness, to live in newness of life. For by his wounds you were healed. Then he goes on to say, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Now, as the uh, good shepherd who died for us, he's also become, notice the next point, the great shepherd. As the great shepherd, Jesus lives to care for his sheep. And that is the point going back to verse 20 of Hebrews 13. It says, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep. Now, how does Jesus, the great shepherd, care for his sheep? Well, beloved, you're all familiar with Psalm 23. That says it all right there. You know, it's a beautiful little psalm of only six verses. And in these six verses, I don't know if you've ever noticed, it was written by a young David. There are 17 personal pronouns, which emphasizes the intimate personal relationship that God desires us to have with the shepherd. It's not enough just to know about the shepherd. We need to know him intimately through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you know Jesus as your shepherd, notice how he cares for you. The psalm opens up. You know it. The Lord is what? My shepherd, I shall not want, which means I shall not lack any good thing. And then it goes on and it shares how he meets our needs. In verse 2, it talks about the fact he gives us provision. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And then he gives me peace. He leads me beside quiet waters. And then he gives me pardon. He restores my soul. And then I know God's providence, his leadership, his guidance in my life. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And then I know his presence. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. And then he gives me preservation. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He gives me protection. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And then he blesses me with plenty. Thou hast anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And then, of course, finally he'll give me paradise. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So as our shepherd, as we reconcile to him, as he becomes a guardian of our soul, he provides all that we need. But it's, that's not where it all ends. Look, not only the good shepherd, not only the great shepherd, but that next point, as the chief shepherd, Jesus will return to reward his sheep. First uh, Peter chapter 5, verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So who's the God we worship? We worship a reconciling God. We worship a shepherding God. And notice the third point. We worship a covenant-keeping God. We worship a covenant-keeping God. Going back to verse 20. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. Now, this refers to one of the major themes that we have found in the book of Hebrews, the New Covenant. And the New Covenant, which we've talked about many times in the past in this study, 
is the basic, the simplest way to explain it. It's the last will and testament of Jesus, which was written in his blood and enacted by his death, uh, especially highlighted in Hebrews chapters 8 and 10. Uh, take your Bibles, turn over to Hebrews 8, just to remind ourselves quickly the blessings of the new covenant. Hebrews chapter 8. Look, uh, let's begin reading at, um, let's see, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make uh, with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. And of course, through Jesus Christ, we become beneficiaries of this covenant. And here are the blessings. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them upon their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sin no more. We often talk about this every time we observe the Lord's Supper, because the cup represents the new covenant that was cut in the blood of Jesus Christ. And there are fundamentally three promises in the new covenant, three guarantees, three promises that we inherited through the death of Christ. And those are pardon from sin, I'll remember your iniquities no more, purity of heart, he said, I'll give you a new heart, I'll write my laws on your heart, and then third, the presence of God, that he would come to dwell within us, that now we would become the temple of God, the sanctuary for God. And a great summary verse, and it's there in your sermon notes, a great summary verse for the new and eternal covenant is Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 40. There we read, And I will make an everlasting, circle that word everlasting, covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. What a magnificent promise. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. Notice the next statement in your notes. God will never turn away from doing good to his child. And God will not let his child turn away from him. God swears on his son's blood to give us an eternal salvation. Look at chapter 5, verse 9, just to remind ourselves. He promises an eternal salvation. Verse 9 reads, And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him, who trust him, the source of eternal salvation. But not only eternal salvation, eternal redemption. Chapter 9, verse 12. And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, through the blood of Jesus, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained, what for us? Eternal redemption, and then also an eternal inheritance. Look at verse 15, and for this reason, he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant in order that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So God, the promise is God will never turn away from his child from doing them good and he will not let his child turn away from him in eternal damnation. But God swears on His Son's blood to give an eternal salvation, an eternal redemption, an eternal inheritance. 
Notice the fourth thing. We worship also an equipping God. Not only a covenant-keeping God, but an equipping God. Again, going back to uh, Hebrews 13, verses 20, 21. Now the God of peace, the reconciling God, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, the shepherding God, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. There's that covenant-keeping God. And now an equipping God. Equip you in every good thing to do His will. Now, following your notes, that word equip, fascinating word in the Greek text. It's katerdidso, which carries the idea of repairing or supplying something so that it, it becomes useful. Uh, the word, for example, let me just give you several examples. They're there in your notes. The word was used of setting a bone, mending a fisherman's net, outfitting a ship for a voyage, or equipping soldiers for battle. So God sets, in a spiritual sense, our broken bones to run and win life's race. He repairs our lives to become fishers of men. He outfits us to weather life's storms, and He equips us to fight life's battles. In other words, God promises to supply everything we need to live the Christian life. God promises to supply everything we need to live the Christian life. Now, we even discover the tools that God uses to equip us by tracing this Greek word through the New Testament. And just follow in your Bibles with me as, as we do this. The, this is how God equips us. Turn over to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we find the first thing that God uses to equip the believer, to repair us, to supply us, to give us everything we need to live the Christian, is, the, is His Word, God's Word. Look at uh, chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired, breathed by God, and profitable, profitable for, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be adequate, Equipped, there's the same word that we found in Hebrews 13. Equipped for every good work. So as we come to the word of God, God uses his word to adjust our lives, to bring our lives in harmony with his truth, to provide the motivation, the energy uh, to uh, follow him and to know his will for our lives. Look at 1 Thessalonians, another tool that God uses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, he uses prayer. There we read, as uh, we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete. Now, it's, in our English Bibles, it's translated complete, but the same Greek word, katerizo, that we saw in Hebrews chapter 13. That he may complete or equip what is lacking in your faith. So God uses His Word. He uses prayer. He also uses, as we see in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, the fellowship of the church. The fellowship of the church. In Ephesians 4, verses 11, 12, and 13, we read, And He gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. For the equipping. There's the same word we See in Hebrews 13, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, 
to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So God uses his word. He uses prayer. He uses the fellowship of the church to equip us. But then also individual believers. Look at Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. He uses individual believers. He says, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. There's the same word, katerizo, that we saw in Hebrews 13. That could be translated uh, equip, repair, mend, uh, correct. Restore, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. So, yes, God uses word and he uses prayer. He uses the fellowship of the church. But he also uses individual believers as we encourage one another, as we hold one another accountable. And there are times, as we see here in Galatians 6, we need to lovingly confront one another and challenge one another when we drift from God's truth, from when we drift and stray from the shepherd in order to restore a brother or a sister who has fallen into sin. And then notice the last thing that God uses to equip the believer, and that is suffering. Yes, suffering. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we see this. And of course, we saw this emphasized beautifully in Hebrews chapter 12, how God uses adversity, He uses conflict, He uses persecution uh, as disciplinary training in the lives of His children. Uh, to draw us closer to Him, to learn how to lean on Him and to follow Him. But let me read this verse out of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. says, And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect. There's the word, katerizo, that we saw in Hebrews 13. He will perfect, confirm, and strengthen, and establish you. So God uses circumstances, difficult circumstances, problems and adversities in life to bring us to that place where we know God's supply and where we're outfitted to weather life's storm. So we worship a reconciling God, praise Him. We worship a shepherding God who will never leave us, who will never desert us, who watches over His sheep, cares for His sheep. We know a covenant-keeping God. And He will never break His promise. He will never turn away from us to do good. And He will never let us turn away from Him. He'll pursue us in discipline and correction and never let us fall into eternal condemnation because He's given us what? An eternal salvation, eternal redemption, an eternal inheritance. And then we have this wonderful equipping God who comes along our side uh, to uh, change us, to transform us to supply everything we need to accomplish His will. And then look at the last and final truth. We worship an enabling God, an enabling God. Again, look at going back to verses 20 and 21 of Hebrews 13. Now the God of peace, putting it all together now. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do His will. And then notice His enabling working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And a great cross-reference is Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God 
who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God in you, not only providing the motivation, but the very empowerment to accomplish his will. So God reconciled you to himself through the blood of the covenant, through the blood of Jesus. He's promised that he's never going to turn away from you to do good to you, to always be your shepherd, to equip and enable you to do his will. Now, folks, that is a God to worship. Amen? The God to worship. Would you bow with me for a moment? First, I just want to give you just a, just an opportunity just there in your pew as you reflect back on this study over the last year and a half. What has God spoken to you about through this study? Um, what has he done in your life? And just take a moment, and I, and I trust he has, that there have been uh, uh, things he's uh, shown you about Jesus that uh, you may have never known before. Maybe you saw with greater clarity through this study. As we talked about earlier, you've hopefully seen his beauty, his worth as never before. Um, but just thank him for those things he taught you through this study. And then ask Him uh, to give you that equipping, to give you that enabling, that you now will be able to live those truths out. And then with your, with your head still bowed, there, there possibly could be those here this morning that you do not know the shepherd. And today you've seen what God did to reconcile you to himself through Jesus. How Jesus took the record book of your life as your sin was laid on him. And he took the punishment you deserved. And he buried that sin. And he rose again to offer forgiveness. And for all who put their trust in him, he said, I will pardon you and I will remember your sin no more. And I will come live with you to be your shepherd and your guardian. I want to give you the opportunity right now, if God has spoken to you, if you've realized your lost condition, you've seen the salvation that's being offered to you in Christ, I want to give you the opportunity right now. Would you just simply say, God, I, I do surrender my all to you, as these young people sang just a moment ago. I do ask you to come into my heart to forgive me of my sin, to take control of my life, and to follow you. And then let me encourage all of us right now. Would you just take a moment there in the altar of your heart just to worship God as the reconciling God? Would you just... Thank Him. Thank Him for being a reconciling God. 
thank Him for being a shepherding God. Thank Him for being a covenant-keeping God that will never break His promises to you. Thank Him for being an equipping and enabling God. Would you just spend a few moments just praising Him, just thanking Him for who He is? Father, we do want to thank you uh, for this wonderful privilege that has been ours um, for over a year and a half now to uh, walk uh, through the pages, the verses of this uh, wonderful book uh, of Hebrews. And uh, Father, thank you uh, for helping us see, I do trust with greater clarity, uh, the beauty, uh, the value of Jesus. And Lord, as we began this service, uh, noting that statement of Paul, I pray that you would bring each of us to that point where we could truly say from our hearts with uh, authenticity, I count all things lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as garbage in order to gain Him. So, Lord, continue to open our eyes to see the infinite worth of Jesus. Continue to let us know Your reconciling power in us. Lord, let us know You shepherding us through life. And give us the grace, the enablement to follow, knowing that you will always be true to your word, to your promises that were written in the very blood of Jesus and enacted by his death. And thank you that you have sworn on the blood of your son for all those who put their faith in Jesus that you will give an eternal salvation, an eternal redemption, and eternal inheritance. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.